This episode brought to you by Cafe Imports, Minneapolis-based importers of fine specialty green coffees, independently owned and operated since 1993. Cafe Imports has been dedicated to decreasing its impact on the earth through renewable energy, carbon neutrality, and by supporting conservational efforts in places where quality coffee is grown and also where quality coffee is consumed. Where does your coffee come from? And by the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation. As a nonprofit, we rely on support from listeners like you. If you like what you hear, please consider a donation. To learn more and make a gift, visit us at www.gosuperior.org. Welcome to the Lake Superior Podcast. I'm Walt Lindela. And I'm Frida Wara. We are made stronger by story, and there's no better source than the continent's largest body of fresh water, Lake Superior. So join us as we highlight the five national parks that ring this greatest of the Great Lakes, meet the people, tour the places, and learn about the projects that make these parks and body of water so remarkable. This podcast made possible with the support of the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation and Media Brew Communications. I'm Walt Lindela. And I'm Frida Wara. Welcome once again to the Lake Superior Podcast. Today, Frida, an interesting and somewhat timely conversation. Oh. Uh, you know, we like to keep these kind of uh, in an evergreen kind of way where, you know, they can be listened to at any time. But this year, it's obvious that we're having a very oh. unique winter here along the lake and the Lake Superior shoreline. Uh, and this is kind of something you put together uh, because it is so timely. Well, when we talk about the weather... And anytime you live above the 45th parallel, and basically we're almost at 50, uh, you would imagine that you're going to have a reliable winter. And that's just not happening. And logistically, it has been a nightmare for so many events for ski races and sled dog races and all kinds of things that have been canceled. But this really struck me that looking at Lake Superior and understanding that we can't get to Isle Royal for winter study. And we are so grateful that Dr. Sarah Hoy was able to chat with us today. Yeah, she is joining us. She is research assistant professor at the College of Forest Resources and Environmental Science at Michigan Technological University in Houghton. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. We are very happy to have you here to talk about this because this is a very key thing that happens at Isle Royal and it's important to the Lake Superior uh, folks as well. Can you give us a little history of winter study on Isle Royal, what this is and what's done there and a little bit of its background? Yeah, so this winter, so winter 2024 was the 65th winter study that's ever taken place. Um, the first winter study took place in 1958 and was led by a scientist called Derwin Allen. And Derwin Allen was a kind of a pioneer among ecologists for having the foresight to kind of understand the value of continuing to monitor wildlife populations for more than just a year or two. And so the Isle Royal Wolf Moose Project really kind of began during the darkest hours for wolves in North America, when humans had driven wolf populations to extinction across large portions of their range. And so the main goal of the project was to just try and learn more about wolves, how wolves impact their prey, um, just so that we could potentially build a better relationship and understand these creatures uh, better. And so the researchers that have studied the wolves and moose on Isle Royale um, over the, the last six and a half decades are responsible for a lot of 
discoveries that now seem so basic that they're common knowledge, like the idea that wolves have a tendency to to selectively kill old and, and weak prey and things like that. So tell us a little bit about what your job has been when you do this winter study. What are you directly involved with? Yeah, so I'm one of just a very small number of scientists uh, that lead the study of wolves in Moose and Isle Royal. Uh, There's just three of us. Um, And one of the main things I'm doing during winter study is uh, flying in a small airplane um, and conducting surveys to try and estimate the number of wolves and moose on the island. So basically, we fly over the island in a small plane and systematically count the number of moose that we see on different survey plots. And we also track wolves and observe their behaviors. And so we want to know how many wolves are on the island, how many packs there are, um, how many wolves in each pack, where the wolves are hanging out, so what their territories are, how many moose are they killing, what they're doing in the breeding season, so we have an idea about how many pairs might give birth to pups in the spring. So those are kind of the main things that, that I'm doing in the wintertime. But it can't happen this year. Why? Yeah, so um, this year we, we went out to the island. We managed to do just about two weeks of work before um, we had to suspend operation. And so basically this unusually uh, long period of above freezing temperatures were impacting the condition of the ice on the harbor and the ice on the harbor is really important for us because that's where we land the survey plane. Um, and so what was happening, because this long period of above freezing temperatures, the thickness of ice had started to decline. There were a few cracks and holes appearing near the shoreline um, where, the, where the ice tends to be a bit more fragile. And that was kind of allowing for water and slush to gather on top of the ice. So basically out of an abundance of concern about um, safety and whether the the plane would be able to safely take off and land on the ice and because temperatures didn't look like they were going to drop below freezing for for a period of time, it was decided that everybody should return to the the mainland and and we're all kind of hoping that ice conditions will improve and, and we'll be able to get back out there. So you mentioned suspended. Was there some work that you had already been able to conduct? And what were maybe, if you were, what were some of the things that you were seeing for this year? Yeah, so um, we were fortunate enough to be able to complete the the census of the moose population. So we're currently crunching numbers and trying to figure out exactly how many moose uh there are on the island. So we did get some really good data there. We also got some useful insights of the wolf population, but um, typically because wolves travel such such long distances in short periods of time, you kind of want to be monitoring them sort of regularly and you kind of build up a picture over time of, you know, are you consistently seeing this many wolves in a particular area and just to really get more reliable estimates. So we have some clues about what's going on with the wolves, but nothing really as reliable as what we'd hoped for. And kind of at the end of February, early March is the time when the wolves are in their breeding season. So that's kind of why we like to be out on the island so we can monitor them during that period and figure out how many, you know, how many litters of pups should we maybe expect the following spring. Because winter study is usually around seven weeks, and it's a prime seven weeks. You can't necessarily delay this into the end of March or even into April, May? 
Um, no, I guess there's, um, I mean, the snow is one thing that really helps us see and observe the animals. I guess in the wintertime, you don't have any leaves on trees. So if you're doing aerial surveys, you're, you're, you don't have that, that issue. Um, tracks left in the snow by animals are also incredibly useful. So even if you don't see fly over an area and see an animal, you can see its tracks and then you can figure out, okay, that's, you know, that's at least four wolves, and you can follow those tracks and figure out, oh, they killed a moose here, or you can catch up with the animals and see what they're doing. Um, I guess it's also a lot easier to see animals against a white, snowy background than it is trying to look for a brown moose on a brown Mm -hmm. bit of earth. Um, And wolves often bed down a lot on lake shores and frozen areas of water, Um, when they're resting and so that also makes them a lot easier to see and obviously you know if you're going into april when you don't have that much you know less snow um then then that makes it a lot easier and we'd also kind of miss the wolf breeding season as well we're talking with sarah hoy today she is research assistant professor uh with the college of forestry resources and, and environmental science at michigan tech in houghton talking about the winter study of the wolf and uh, moose population on isle royal and its suspension sarah can you tell me a little bit more about the these aircraft i mean are these seaplanes are these ice planes what what is going on with the conditions that prevented you from using these planes in particular this time around to suspend this operation yeah, so um, we use this. We use a small fixed-wing airplane, and in the summertime, the the airplane is fitted with floats so they can take off and land on open water. But in the winter time, the floats on the plane get replaced with and swapped out for skis that help distribute the weight of the the plane um, and give it a bit more traction on the ice. So just like humans changing our footwear from sandals to snow boots as the, the seasons change. The planes also change their landing gear to match the conditions. I just want to clarify, I'm not a pilot, um, but I think you don't want to try and land a, a plane on open water without floats. Obviously, it would, it would sink. Um, and it can be risky to try and land a float plane on water um, when there are bits of ice floating around because you don't want to hit a chunk of ice because that might cause an accident. Um, which obviously you don't want to be happen when you're out in the wilderness area. And then there's also the concern of how you would get safely from the plane onto shore if there's, a, you know, if there's big chunks of ice kind of floating around. So that's really what prohibits us from being able to, say, just fly out and land on the water. You know, Sarah, you have just brought an amazing picture for me because I've spent a lot of time in float planes. I've landed a lot on ice, uh, both at the North Pole and also in Antarctica. And I understand when we would land in Antarctica on these KC-135s, these gigantic cargo planes, they would be measuring the thickness of that ice to be able to handle the weight of a landing. Because certainly if you thought it was good ice and you went to land and then you punched through that, that I mean, we don't even want to ever think about that catastrophe. When we captured those wolves and brought them back in 2019, we did that with helicopter. Can we do this study with helicopters? Well, um, helicopters, we, we do sometimes use helicopters as a way to trans people, transport people and their gear um, out onto the island in wintertime. And some people do use helicopters for wildlife surveys. 
But the key issue is that helicopters tend to really disturb the wildlife and they tend to run away from the helicopter and hide in the forest. And because of that, you can't really observe the animals for a very long time and watch their behaviors and try and figure out, okay, are they adult wolves, are they adult wolves or are they pups or, you know, are they exhibiting courtship behavior, things like that as well. So um, whereas, you know, seaplanes, as you probably know, are flying over Isle Royale all the time throughout the summer, and they just tend not to, to seem to be bothered by a small airplane kind of circling above them. Um, so that allows us to collect data that we couldn't get in a helicopter. The other kind of issue that it's at least four or five times as inexpensive per hour to use a helicopter for surveys than it is um, to use a small fixed-wing aircraft. It's very interesting here in terms of what you've brought forth with how the weather really works, the ice really works with this effort. And that's why this year, not having it to the same level that we've had it for all these other years, it creates some challenges. Now, with with this, I mean, you touched on it that you had to suspend things and you are looking at hopefully getting things going again if it does get cold and it does freeze up again. But how does this lapse affect your data collection with an effort like this? Yeah, that's a great question. So as I mentioned, we're at least able to finish the moose survey. So got some data and a few insights about the wolf population. Um, and I guess we'll we'll try and do our best to kind of collect additional information and samples in the summer to help us try and get clues and infer things that we maybe missed. For example, you know, if we're seeing uh, wolf tracks and, and scats and things like that, or through the use of genetic analysis. So we collect uh, scats, so we can do some... We have a collaborator that we work with, Kristen Bresky, who analyzes those, and she can figure out which individuals are in the population. So there might be ways to kind of figure out some of some of the things that we, we missed by not being out there. Just wanted to ask you about, like, with the 19 wolves that were relocated to Isle Royale back in 2019, have, since that was done, what are some of the things that you have seen happen with both the moose and the wolf population at Isle Royale and some of those trends? Yeah, so uh, the two populations have kind of done two different things. So following the reintroduction of the, the translocation of those 19 wolves, the number of wolves on the island has steadily increased up to about 28, 31 was the last estimate. So the number of wolves on the island has increased. Um, last year, there, there were, we think, three packs on the island. And so that's kind of, that, that number of wolves and that number of packs is roughly kind of in line with what you would expect based on kind of like the long-term average that has been seen over the past 65 years. The number of litters born every year has steadily increased. Um, so that's all very good, positive news. The wolves are um, killing moose, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the wolf population really does seem to have recovered. Um, the moose population is is a little different. That population has been steadily de- declining for several years. Um, so just prior to the wolves being reintroduced, there were almost 2,000 moose on the island. Um, since then, that number has declined to about 1,000. So it's been a big decline. But that number of about 1,000 moose is, again, kind of closer to what we would expect based on the long-term average 
number of moose on the island. So that population has kind of come back down to kind of more more typical levels than it had been. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say part of the reason for that decline is, is of course, the, the increase in the recovery of the wolf population. The other thing that we've seen is um, over the past couple of years, quite a lot of moose seem to have starved to death. Um, and we think that's partly because there were so many moose on the island for several years in a row that they kind of really impacted the, the vegetation on the island and then, then subsequently were kind of struggling to find enough food. We're talking with Sarah Hoy on the podcast here today. She is research assistant professor at Michigan Tech University in Houghton, talking about the the winter survey, the study rather of the uh, the wolf and the moose population at Isle Royal and at the national park. Now, Sarah, one of the interesting things here is that for people that listen to this podcast, whenever we do an Isle Royal related episode, it gets a lot of extra checks. A lot of people uh, tune in or check in on it. This is interesting, obviously, from the science standpoint and from the biological standpoint. But for those of us that are perhaps thinking about visiting Isle Royale and they know there's moose and they know there's wolves, where can they turn to find out a little bit more about the work you do to educate them about what they may experience if they do make the journey to Isle Royale? Yeah. Um, so there are a couple of things that people can do. We have a Facebook and Instagram accounts. So um, if you search for the Wolves and Moose of Isle Royal, and those are both public accounts. So even if you don't uh, or you're not don't have a membership to Facebook or whatever, you could, should still be able to to view that those posts. And then we also have a web page which is isleroyalwolf.org, and that has a lot of really great information about the island, about the wolves, the moose, and the latest research that we've done. You can also download our annual reports. So each year we produce a report that kind of summarizes all of the findings that we've uh, come and discoveries that we've made over the past year and, and what we've been up to. And Sarah, when will Moose Watch take place this year? Oh, that's a, another great question. Um, so we typically have uh, four different expeditions that take place across the um, during the summer. Um, the first groups, I believe, are leaving at the around the 11th to 19th of May. Um, there's another expedition around the 22nd of May. Um, another around the 3rd of June, and then another in uh, July 26th, I think. All by application. You go to a website to apply if you want to go to yes. Moose Watch. Yeah. Be aware so that is you... also when the bugs will probably be <laughs> the hungriest. Yeah. <laughs> well, your your May and your your the two in May and the one in early June, the bugs are typically not that bad. Um, the one kind of later in July is kind of a bit tougher. If you if you're not a fan of bugs, I, I suggest you try and sign up for the <laughs> one of the first two expeditions. Well, this has certainly been a great conversation with you, Sarah, today, just to kind of get an idea of the challenges this year that the weather has created for the uh, the winter study on Isle Royal. I hope you can get back to it, and I hope you can get some sort of data together. But if not, perhaps a better winter next year and try again, right? Yep, yep, absolutely. We're, we've got our fingers crossed that these cold temperatures at night will help increase the ice, so we're still hopeful. 
Well, appreciate the update with you today. Uh, best of luck with it all. And I know we'll talk with you again because this is a fascinating topic that has to do with Isle Royal right there in Lake Superior and one of the most popular national parks in the entire in the entire system. Sarah, thank you for your time today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. That's Sarah Hoy, Ph.D., Research Assistant Professor, College of Forest Resources and Environmental Science at Michigan Technological University in Houghton with information on the winter study this year at Isle Royal National Park, which unfortunately due to the weather has not been able to be fully done. But Frida, just some really interesting information. What caught my ear about it was how it all works together with it being wintry and having ice and being able to bring out the planes and not the helicopters and all that. Lots of great information here that you might not think of when you see some of the numbers and some of the reports. You know, Sarah's been doing winter study for seven years and the study has been going on for 65. It was only canceled back in 2021, I believe, when there was a COVID year. It was shortened maybe by a couple of weeks previously. But when you look at how we've been relying on typical winter weather to do such an important study, this, you know, I've been complaining about I can't ski. Well, I got to shut up because when you look at, I mean, what this has meant for the study for Sarah and certainly for Rolf Peterson has been somebody that has been on this study the longest of anybody on the planet. And really that information at, at such a key time, you know, say, well, can't we just change it and go a little bit later she brings up all those great points. You need the snow cover to see these yes. animals stand out against it so you can do the aerial survey. You need the ice so you can land the plane to do the aerial survey. You have to be able to get in and out of there. You can't just say, we're going to leave it there at the plane there, and then we'll get some fuel out to it. No, you're not going to do that. So there's all these factors that have come into play that have created a unique year this year. I'm hoping that when we get into the next season, they're able to do more with that. And also for those people that are checking out the podcast here today with questions about Isle Royal National Park, go to those websites, check it out. This will teach you a little bit about who really lives on the island uh, when you're going to visit. So it's really been interesting talking to Sarah today and we appreciate her time. Yeah, that Isle Royal Wolf dot org go over there and you're going to see some fascinating photos but certainly and if someone's still interested in moose watch i like that sarah said you know the bugs aren't really that bad in may and you got to remember that i think that is also when i've been up there doing some trail work mm-hmm. um for the national parks of lake superior foundation we'll head over there and you're right uh when you're in copper harbor you might get eaten alive but if you got to the island you were okay it's you just, are a bit away out there <laughs> you don't yeah. want to stay too long into no. the end of june no you <laughs> don't but uh, that's going to do it for us we do want to remind you of course that if there's some idea that you hear uh or have an idea that come across your mind that you'd like to hear us do a podcast on you can find us through the national parks of lake superior foundation website also they're open there for contributions and donations to support the work that the foundation does and uh, we encourage you to get involved because there's a lot of great national parks right along the big blue as you call it frida and and always good to learn things like we did today I'm Walt Lindela. I'm Frida Wara. Thanks for listening. The National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation, NPLSF, is the only official nonprofit 501c3 fundraising partner of the National Park Service for all five U.S. National Park sites on Lake Superior. To learn more about NPLSF projects and programs, you can visit the website at nplsf.org or friend them on Facebook. I'm Frida Wara. And I'm Walt Lindela. Thanks for listening to the Lake Superior Podcast.
This podcast made possible with the support of the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation and Media Brew Communications. This episode brought to you by Cafe Imports, Minneapolis-based importers of fine specialty green coffees, independently owned and operated since 1993. Cafe Imports has been dedicated to decreasing its impact on the earth through renewable energy, carbon neutrality, and by supporting conservational efforts in places where quality coffee is grown and also where quality coffee is consumed. Where does your coffee come from? And by the National Parks of Lake Superior Foundation. As a nonprofit, we rely on support from listeners like you. If you like what you hear, please consider a donation. To learn more and make a gift, visit us at www.gosuperior.org.